Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Well, good morning and welcome to Vessel Collective Church. First and foremost, welcome and thank you for joining us here for Church at Home. I believe that we are officially in week eight or nine at this point of doing church in our living rooms and quarantine from home. So I hope and pray that this message, wherever you're watching it right now, wherever you're participating, finds you safe and healthy uh, and provided for from the Lord. Um, And then I also want to say, if you're new, like if you've stumbled across this today or if someone has invited you or you've been with us the past several weeks or even months, uh, and you're new to the vessel, I just wanna say welcome. And thank you so much for being a part of this and for joining us. We would love to know that you're here. So if you're as if you're so bold as to uh, put a comment in the comment section, just say good morning, just say hello. I promise you someone will reply back and welcome you. Um, and we would just love to know that you're here, even if you're new, even if you're just obscurely watching from a far off location or wherever you're consuming this, uh, this morning service, we just want to welcome you. Our mission at the vessel is that we are called to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. And, uh, that is really who we are. That's who we feel like God has called us to be as a church. And that's who God, we feel like God has called us to be as people. And so, uh, I just want to read some scripture out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 that that is really the spirit of that calling and the mission of our church. It comes from 2 Timothy 2, um, verses 20 20 and 21. It says, In a large house there are vessels, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be vessels for special purposes made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. And so our heart of the vessel is just to see ourselves as that, to see ourselves as empty and available for the Lord to use uh, for his kingdom, his purpose. So that's just a little bit about who we are. So welcome and thank you for being here this morning. For the past five weeks, we have been in a series that we are calling The First Days. And what it is, it is is a look at the very first days and the birth of the church in the book of Acts. And so we have just been creeping our way along the first few chapters in Acts, just looking at what was it that the Lord did in that church and what out of that is the Lord still doing in his church now. And and we as the vessel, wherever you're watching from, what do we take away from that? And what is God calling us to? And so um, in that spirit, I want us to, before we jump in this morning, we're going to be in Acts 4, if you want to start flipping there or pulling up on your phone. Uh, I want to go back to a couple weeks ago. If you remember, uh, two weeks ago, my beautiful bride, Shay Shay, and I, we taught out of Acts chapter 2. And it's that famous scripture, uh, 42 through 46, and it talks about, and it, gives, it paints this picture of the church being uh, this very familial, this very communal group of Christ followers that did things together, that cared for one another, that loved one another. And it says this, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking the bread, fellowship, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And this is what God has really put on my heart uh, the past couple weeks since we were teaching that, and I want to share it with you this morning. It says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts with glad, sincere hearts. And what I want to tell you right now is as the Lord has really put that on my heart and I've been praying for our church and praying for the people of the vessel, uh, I know that through the coronavirus and COVID-19 that there's been a lot of significant needs that are going on within our church. Uh, obviously, we're in isolation. We're missing being together. Uh, that's difficult as it is. There, there's uh, emotional and mental struggle that comes with that. Um, and so, and, and on top of that, there's the financial piece. We know that there's a lot of people that have been out of work, out of jobs, that have had their income um, reduced, that have been put on furlough or have been laid off business owners that aren't getting the income um, that they're that they're expecting and so i i want you to know church that we want to know those needs that we as a church and, and the board have been talking the past couple of weeks about what are the things that we can do as a church to help meet and serve and love one another and really rally together during this time and we think it's really important that we know what those needs are so I'm going to put my email right here on the screen. If you would, please email me if uh, for what's going on with you. We want to know. We want to know if you have had loss of income, if you are suffering in any way, shape, or form, so that we can truly be that Acts 2 church. So we can love, that we can support, that we can give to one another, that we're not doing this alone. And, and I think that one of the enemy's biggest and strongest attacks upon the bride of Christ is isolation. And now more than ever, isolation has been significant and hard. And so there are needs that are out there that we don't know about. So please, if you would, just email me and let me know what those needs are. And we're prayerfully talking about and praying through as a leadership team about how we help meet those needs, how we help support one another, how we're praying for those sort of things. And so I wanted to start this morning with that, with just encouraging you to let us know uh, what your needs are so that we can be aware of that and see how we can surround one another, support one another, and love one another during this time. So with that said, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And this morning's message, before I jump in and read the scripture, I want to kind of give you a, a bit of a roadmap on where we're going and kind of what our focus is this morning. As I said, we've been in a series called The First Days and looking at the birth of the church and what the Lord is establishing in His church. And so our kind of focus for this morning is, is the focus on the advancement of the gospel. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the advancement of the gospel in the first days of the church. And so as we look at this, as we open up and we read the scripture out of Acts 4, I want us to think about the context of our own lives. I want us to think about the context of our own church. And I think it's important that we, I know this is very even rudimentary or elementary, but I want to define and say what I mean by advancement of the gospel. Like when I say that word gospel, when I talk about that the gospel being advanced and moving forward, I, I think that we all have something that's in our mind about what that means. And I, I would assume, and I think that that's probably all very similar. But for the sake of being um, in unity and of one accord this morning, I want to kind of define that. So the idea of advancement is pretty straightforward, right? It, it's about growth. It's about spreading. It's about moving forward into new soil. And the important thing there that you keep in mind uh, as we read through the scripture is the idea of new soil. It's, it's advancing forward. It's the gospel moving 
towards and spreading ahead of where it is, meaning that it is going into new territory, that it's being shared with new people, and that idea. Because I think in the church, we, we think about the advancement of the gospel, and we can sometimes confuse that with like the idea of advancement, we can confuse it with discipleship. And not to say that inward isn't really important, but we're really looking this morning at advancing and moving the gospel forward and, and evangelism in a lot of sense. And then the word uh, gospel, um, and what gospel literally means is it's defined as good news. Uh, so that's that's what the word gospel means. And the Greek, uh, it's it's the Greek word is literally where we get evangelism from. In Mark 16, Jesus says this at the end of uh, Mark to his disciples. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So it's literally the gospel is sharing the good news, good tidings, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share with people the good news about Jesus Christ. And so that's what we mean when we talk, when we're talking this morning about advancing the gospel. It is helping the good news of Jesus Christ move forward into new soil into new soil. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. So pray with me. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for the vessel in our church and being able to gather in your name and in your midst. Uh, we thank you that your word promises us that when we gather in your name that you are with us. And so we just invite you into our homes now. God, I invite you into this time. I pray that you empower and enable me. God, that you use me as a vessel uh, to speak truth, the truth of your word, uh, into your bride. Um, God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 22. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll come back uh, and kind of talk about some things uh, considering the, the advancement of the gospel. So Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, says this. Actually, let me do this. Before I jump in, let me give you a little bit of context. In case you weren't here last week, um, um, Peter and John are going to the temple um, in the afternoon, at three in the afternoon. They're going into the temple, and this is kind of when the public ministry of the church begins. And as they're going into the temple gate, they, they cross through this gate, and there's this man there that's begging. Uh, and he's been crippled for birth. He's over 40 years old, and he's, he's standing there, and he's asking for alms for the poor. And so as Peter and John are going in, they walk by him like they've done many, many times before. Uh, and, as a, and this is a very public space. There's thousands of people here. This is the, the temple that's in Jerusalem. It's very popular. And this man is very well known that we know from Scripture. As they're walking in, the man, just like he does every day, he asks them uh, for alms for the poor. And it's Peter, the Scripture says that Peter looked directly at him. And he tells the man, he says, look at us. And the man looks at them and he says, silver and gold I do not have in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he takes him by the hand and he raises the man up. And the, the, the scripture says that his immediately his ankles and his legs and his feet became strong. And it says he leapt to his feet and he began jumping and leaping and praising God. And he was, they, they go into this temple and he's kind of hanging on Peter and John. He's praising God for, for the miracle that God has performed through Peter and John at this time. And they go into the temple courts, and there is the, the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees. And these are the religious leaders. It's interesting during this time, they, they have religious power, but they also have political power. And the Sanhedrin, you're going to see, is a little bit different than the Pharisees um, and, and the, the divide may be small but it's significant and it's important to know 
And but the most important thing you know is that they are they are obviously against the gospel and their opponents and adversaries to the gospel. And so they go in and they see what's happened. And they, they, they see this man that's hanging on there, and they, 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 they do have legal power. So they bring Peter and John before them and begin to question them about the miracle that's happened. And so beginning in verse 12, it says this. They're asking him um, about what's happened, and, and, and they say the, the apostles say this. It says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved, speaking about Jesus Christ and doing ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could, not see, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they ask. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So here it is, and the disciples go before the Sanhedrin, and, and Peter is bold in his proclamation. And if you if you rewind a little bit in, in, in chapter four, you you hear that the that Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a whole Sunday that we spent talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it says that Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to speak with great power and great boldness and tells them about salvation in Jesus Christ. And he makes no he, he makes no bones about it. He says it is only by the name of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection that you can find salvation in the Lord. And so uh, he's really bold. And, and so the first thing that we see here in this idea of the advancement of the gospel, remember we're talking about the gospel be go, uh, going forward. The first thing that we notice here, and that's really important for us, and I think out of everything this morning, it meant if you can get this, if you can get this right, it is powerful and it is life-changing. And I don't mean just intellectually understand it. I mean, if you can embrace it in your life, if you can embrace this truth, it changes and it, it empowers you to do the ministry that God is calling you to do. And the truth is this, is that it takes character, not expertise. I'll say that again. 
the first point and the first thing we're going to look at here on the advancement of the gospel is that it takes character and not expertise. Verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had have been with Jesus. So here are these adversaries, these people that are against the spread of the gospel and that are against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And like I said, it's important that you know the difference between Sadducees and Pharisees. So I'll tell you a little bit about what the Sadducees are. Is that the Sadducees are, it's this religious group and their theology and they're this Jewish sect and they're very powerful politically, spiritually, they're trained, they're educated, they have a background, they've been schooled and been raised knowing uh, scripture. And so, but what they believe is is pretty narrow. So they only believe in the Torah, uh, the first four, four books of the Old Testament. They only believe in the Torah and they do not believe in resurrection. Whereas the Pharisees do believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do believe in miraculous signs and wonders. The Sadducees do not. They do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in signs and wonders. So the fact that Jesus was resurrected, the fact that they've just seen this miracle before them, really pushes and challenges all their theological beliefs and the things that they stand firm on. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying at all costs to protect those things. And so uh, I, I heard this joke and it's like a, it's a total dad joke. And I don't know where I heard it about Sadducees, but uh, it said that the way that you remember about the Sadducees is that they don't believe in the resurrection and they're sad, you see. You get it? I assume that everyone at home is laughing because that is a terrible joke. But that's the idea is that they they don't believe in the resurrection. So the, the fact that they that Jesus has resurrected, this miracle has been performed, really pushes against that. And so what we notice here first and foremost is what they see in the disciples. What they see in Peter and John is that it says that they take notice in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. And not only do they see the courage in them and they see their character, but it says that they're astonished by that. If you were here last week and you remember Missy and Mike Stewart prayed for our church and prayed for our nation. It was it was National Day of Prayer last Thursday um, or last week and, and they prayed for our nation, they prayed for our church. And I remember specifically Mike prayed for the Christian character of our church. And I don't know why, but when he prayed that, it just stuck with me. And I thought, and I prayed on that. And I, at first I thought about the idea of like Christian character being doing the right thing and uh, not acting a fool or not cursing or being a nice, straight, narrow Christian. But the more I prayed about it and the more I thought about what Mike was praying for is Mike was praying for the character of who we are, our backbone that is Jesus Christ, the things that give us courage, the things that give us boldness, the things that give us strength and peace and all those fruits of the spirits that come from the Lord. And that's what the Sadducees see here in Peter and John. And this scripture for me was super impactful when I went into ministry. This idea that here they are and they see the courage of Peter and John and they realize that they're unschooled, untrained, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. When I came into ministry, I had a lot of insecurity about being a pastor. I didn't look, smell, feel, talk, act like a pastor in my estimation. That wasn't 
I didn't, I didn't identify with whatever false image that I had in my mind was. And one of those things was is that I've never been to seminary. Uh, I, I, I grew up in the church. I know scripture. I love Jesus, but I, I never, God didn't call me when I was 18 years old. I didn't go to seminary. So I had a lot of insecurity around that. And so when I went into ministry and I, I began and became a pastor, I would get the question a lot. Now, I dreaded it. I get the question of, um, oh, well, where did you go to seminary? And oh, man, I would just, uh, I, would, I would dread that question being brought up out of fear about not being good enough not being smart enough, not being educated enough, not knowing enough, not having some sort of piece of paper on a wall that claimed that I was capable, qualified, and that someone smarter than me checked the box to say, okay, he can be a pastor. But when I, but when I arrived here in Acts 4, this, this really gave me peace about this, realizing that Peter and John, that what it was that the Lord, or that the Sadducees saw in them, and that the world saw in them, was their courage. It was their character. It was who they truly were. It wasn't the plaque on the wall. It wasn't this uh, this this Jewish training that they had and this, this um, reputation that they had built for themselves. But it was just that they were untrained, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. And I want you to know, church, that that's what I want for my life. And I pray and hope that at the end of my life, when when uh, I am in the grave and in eternity with the Lord and there's a eulogy or people are speaking about me that it's not my accolades, it's not the church that I've pastored or it's the things that I've done or that, that I've published that people would look at my life and say he is someone who had been with Jesus and that that's what they would see in me and that that's what they would see in our church. Uh, you know, I was reading this week about... Um, a guy named Dwight L. Moody, and you may know him. He's a very famous pastor and theologian and scholar and biblical scholar. And I was reading this week about uh, Moody, and if you don't know anything about him, uh, there's the Moody Bible Institute where, like Reed, one of our, our former student pastors, he's going to school there right now. Um, and, and Dwight Moody did incredible things for the kingdom. He is one of the greatest pastors of at least the last you know, 200 years uh, in the United States. And so I was reading about him this week and I read that actually he never went to seminary, that he was saved um, as a 17 year old kid. And so I just, I wrote down some facts I think are really interesting and are, uh, that help point to this idea that it's about character over expertise. It's about, being, it's about character and not expertise. That at 17 years old, he was working at his uncle's uh, shoe store, either repairing or selling shoes, and he's in Chicago. And he had a Sunday school teacher. He went to Sunday school, and he had a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. And here's a man that, um, like if you serve in Vessel Kids or you serve in student ministry with Jacob uh, Hawthorne, our student pastor, um, this should be really encouraging to you. And that here he has this man named Edward Kimball, who's his Sunday school teacher. And, and Mr. Kimball really pursued Dwight Moody. He really pursued him um, to the point where he kept, continued to invite him and continued to get him to come to, to Sunday school. And so eventually he went down to the shoe store where he was and he continued to prayerfully, intentionally, and faithfully pursue relationship and invite Dwight Moody into church. And so eventually Dwight Moody accepted Christ, became saved at 17 year old, years old. 
And so he wanted to become a member of the church. I think this is so funny is that they denied his membership the first time because he was rough around the edges. He was not your typical Christian scholar kid growing up. And here's a quote from his Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, when talking about Moody. He says, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church, which is the church that they were a part of, seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of the gospel truth, still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. And it's funny that how faithful Mr. Kimball was to continue to tirelessly and faithfully and prayerfully pursue him. And then Moody becomes this incredible, biblical, kingdom-minded person that, that changed Christianity in our country, that God used him in such significant ways that he was a shoe salesman, that he was a shoe repair boy at his uncle's shop. And God called him into ministry at 17 years old. No Bible training, uh, didn't grow up going to seminary, and now there, there are schools that are named after him. He's written hymns. He's um, the Moody Bible Institute, and he used to pastor this church on Chicago Avenue. I believe it's called Chicago Avenue Church, and after Moody passed away, they changed it to Moody Church, named after him. And so going into ministry, he started ministry in the Civil War and during the Civil War. And so his ministry started by him going to the front lines uh, where the soldiers were and preaching the gospel. And this was a time, and he's a, a Baptist preacher, this was a time where hellfire and brimstone was real, that that was uh, what churches taught a lot of times, and especially for these soldiers that were on the front lines, that, that, that a gospel of fear was used to get these soldiers to give their lives to Jesus Christ, this idea of hellfire and brimstone. And so Moody was not that way, that he went, he, he preached a message of love, forgiveness, and this idea that Jesus desired relationship rather than uh, this fear-based um, gospel message. And I guarantee you that when he went to those front lines, that those soldiers didn't care where his diploma was or wasn't from. They didn't care that he was a shoe salesman. What they cared about is his character, who he was, the courage and boldness that he had when he went and shared the gospel. And he shared a message of love and kindness and forgiveness and goodness of God that desired relationship with them. After the war, he went and he started a church. And uh, it just made me think about our church, The Vessel. And so he, he, he plants this church in Chicago, Chicago Avenue Church. And then right after, just a few years into this church plant, uh, the Chicago fires come and they burn down his entire, his entire church is burned to the ground. And this entire thing that he built. And I think, like, what sustained him during that? That, that, that preaching to these soldiers on the front lines that were going and losing their lives in the war, um, planning this church and having it burned to the ground only after a few years, that it was no expertise. It wasn't because he had this great Bible knowledge that sustained him. It was because he had this Christian character, that he had peace, he had faithfulness, he had courage, he had boldness for the Lord, and that's what got him through all of those things. Uh, a few years ago when Keller was uh, in preschool and at Vessel Kids, 
we had this memory verse, uh, I believe is out of Deuteronomy. And um, I love our, our children's ministry, and they do this little memory verse. And so we took this video of Keller saying this memory verse. So I'll play uh, this little video for you now and take a look, and then I'll share with you. How am I doing? Am I going too long? You're kind of wordy. And Polly is antsy, so yeah. I'm there. She's like pitter-pattering. She's breathing. Put her outside. Yeah, she wants food, I think. Um, but I'm afraid yeah. that she's going to start jumping on this door. Right, right, right. You ready? So I love that video, and I love how passionate that Keller says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. And man, when I look at my life and I think about me when it comes to my relationship with the Lord, is I want to do something that's courageous. I want to give my life to something that's worth giving my life for. And I think that that's where our character comes in. And so if we think about our call on the Lord, putting the call on our lives and on our church to advance the gospel, to share the gospel, to move it forward. It takes that. It takes character. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes endurance. And I'm not saying that if you're a scholar person or you've been to seminary, it disqualifies you. That's not what Scripture is saying at all. These guys, they it, it doesn't say that they're unintelligent. It doesn't say that they didn't know Scripture. You, you and I both know that they have been with Jesus for three years, every single day doing ministry with them. They knew Scripture and truth better than anyone they walked by. Anyone they walked by. I mean, Peter, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. I mean, those are powerful truths. So, so it's, the Scripture is not saying that they're unintelligent or they didn't know Scripture but it just means that they didn't have this expertise and this training that, that the world saw as required. So the second thing is, is not only is it take character and not expertise, but the advancement of the gospel, the second thing is this, is that the gospel is to be spread and not defended. The gospel is to be spread and not defended. Let me explain what I mean by that. In verse 16, it says this. It says, what are we going to do with these men? This is the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees saying this. They ask, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer in this name, the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying, when I say that you're to spread and not defend, I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place and a circumstance that you need to be ready to defend your faith, without a doubt. But I'm not talking about your faith, I'm talking about the gospel. And I think that sometimes we have a misguided focus when it comes to the advancement of the gospel. We think that it is our job to go out to defend and to argue and to uh, be combative. And I'm telling you, church, that that is not what the spreading of the gospel is. If the gospel is good news, we should take good news with joy forward. Uh, with this past uh, week, um, Keller was playing this video game, and he comes down, and, and he's playing Luigi's Mansion. And they got, he and his little friend, they got to the last boss in Luigi's Mansion. And he came down so excited. He's like, Dad, you're not going to believe we're here and we beat the castle or the, the mansion and now we're fighting King Boo. And he was so excited to share this news with me. 
is that, that it wasn't defending. He didn't come in to defend that he made it there and that he was right in getting there. He was excited to share such good news with me. And that should be our attitude when it comes to spreading the gospel and advancement of the gospel. You know, uh, sometimes we think about ourselves like that we've got to defend Jesus like we're his entourage. And, and, and I've never had an entourage, nor have I ever been a part of an entourage, but my assumption is in an entourage, what they do is they go with someone and they protect them. It's like they, 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 it's like they put a barrier up to protect that person. And I'm telling you, church, that Jesus doesn't need you to protect him. Jesus isn't so soft and fragile that he needs you to defend him. That we have an opportunity to share the gospel and to move it forward. In the, in the scripture in Acts uh, chapter 4, uh, as I mentioned before, the Sadducees, they, they, denied, they, they, denied the, they didn't deny the resurrection, but they believed that resurrection was not possible. They believed that miracles and signs and wonders were not possible. But if you look in the scripture, they don't deny what has happened. There's nowhere in this Acts chapter 4 that they deny the resurrection of Jesus. There's nowhere in here that they deny that miracle that happened. That's huge. It says that everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. And it says, we cannot deny it. That is a powerful truth. But I want you to know, church, that just believing what is true about Jesus Christ is not the same as accepting and receiving the gospel. James reminds us in, in James chapter 2, uh, verse 19 says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And I want you to know, church, that just understanding truth about Jesus Christ is not enough. It's the, the, the idea of receiving that and taking that gift about repentance and turning away from sin and turning towards Christ with taking our lives and truly seeing ourselves as a vessel to give to the Lord, to empty ourselves so that what is dead can be made alive. Back to Dwight Moody for a moment. Uh, as I talked to earlier about, he was an untrained ordinary man that did extraordinary thing for the kingdom, is that the story of Dwight Moody doesn't end there. And it, and it doesn't even end with his Sunday school teacher. It goes beyond that. Is that Dwight Moody, after starting his ministry, uh, Dwight Moody preached to a man named Wilbur Chapman. After he started his ministry, he was doing evangelism. He, he preached to a man named Wilbur Chapman who accepted Christ and became an evangelist himself. And so then Wilbur Chapman began preaching and spreading the gospel and sharing the name of Jesus Christ. And so there's a professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. And he's a professional baseball player, an untrained, ordinary man that had a day off from baseball. And he decided to go and hear Wilbur Chapman preach. So he wandered into the meeting, he heard the gospel, and he accepted Christ that day. He quit baseball and immediately began to work under Chapman, to be, to be trained and discipled by Chapman. Eventually, Chapman left his evangelism, his evangelist ministry, and went to go pastor a church. And he left this baseball player, Billy Sunday, in charge of this ministry. And Billy Sunday began and became this evangelist. And again, he's an untrained ordinary man. He was a baseball player that was saved by grace and called into ministry. And so this, this baseball player, Billy Sunday, began preaching. And, and eventually he preached to a guy named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham gives his life to Christ, goes into ministry, 
begins to, to hold revivals around the United States. So he goes to Charlotte, North Carolina and holds a multi-day revival. And he's across the street from this school. And he's across the street from the school. And there's this boy, at this, this teenage boy that's at this school who's a troublemaker, who is a, who has kind of gone to church, but at the same time, he's kind of been kicked out of the youth group. So he, this, this teenage boy decides that he's going to go to this revival. So he goes and he hears this revival. He hears the gospel from Mordecai Ham for multiple days, and eventually he accepts Christ. And that boy's name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has preached the gospel to over 2 billion people if you think about that line and how the gospel is handed down and spread from person to person to person because people are spreading and sharing the truth about Jesus Christ, they're sharing good news. Is that now Billy Graham, this troubled boy that, that was kind of kicked out of his youth group, has now accepted Christ and God is using him to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to over two billion people. And it all started, you, you, you walked that trail back and it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball that would not stop pursuing a boy named Dwight Moody and went to his work. And I want you to know, church, if that's us, and if we are to move the gospel forward, we've gotta be willing to do all of those things. We've gotta be willing to prayerfully and intentionally and faithfully pursue people that don't know Jesus Christ, to love them, to bring them the good news of the gospel. You know, during all of this coronavirus thing, um, as Shane and I went to Colorado, and, and Colorado is even more, is even further behind uh, where Texas is, and it's really on high alert, and, and the stores aren't really open, and, you know, people are being super careful. And you think about someone that contracts the coronavirus, that gets infected by the coronavirus. The first thing is their symptoms. That the, the people people get the symptoms that they, they get a cough, they're running a fever, they have flu-like symptoms, and they have symptoms that show possible infection. Then they go and they get tested, and they get tested yes or no, positive or negative, they've got the coronavirus. And when someone is infected and has the coronavirus, then they have the potential to spread that to other people to infect other people with this virus. And that's when we have social distancing. So they're, they're coming in contact, they're speaking, they're interacting with other people, and they give this virus to other people. And I wonder, church, what about the gospel? At what point in our own lives do we think, I mean, what are my symptoms of Christ living in me? What are the signs and the symptoms? If coronavirus, it's a, it's a, it's a cough and it's a fever and it's this thing, what is it for a Christ follower? How do we know and when we've been infected with the gospel? And then how do we get tested? And how do we take that thing and give it to other people? And church, I want you to know that it's not about going out and defending and arguing. And I'm not saying there are times and places to defend your faith. But we have good news to share. And we should love the people around us so much that we are like Keller running downstairs. Daddy, I defeated Luigi's mansion. That we're that excited to tell people, Jesus loves you. Jesus has given his life for you. That that's how much he loves you. And that there's a way out of this death and destruction that are the wages of sin. And that we've got to infect people with the gospel. And the final thing, and we're going to close with this, 
is the advancement of the gospel is not only first and foremost about character, not expertise. Not only is the gospel to be spread and not defended, but the last thing that we can learn from the scripture is, this, is spreading, to advancing the gospel is to stand on the side of Jesus and not the world. To stand on the side of Jesus and not the world. Verse 18 says this, verse 18 and 19. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And it's not, and, and, and what Peter's saying here, it's like, he can't help. He can't help share the gospel. He can't help but stand on the side of Jesus Christ. He says, you tell me, what is it right in the Lord's eyes? Is it to stand with you or is it to stand with Jesus? Because right now, what I've seen and heard, I can't stop telling people. I can't stop telling that message. And I want you to know that we see here, this is one of the greatest and most significant attacks of the enemy. And this is the, when, when the enemy looks at our lives, if you call yourself a Christ follower and the enemy looks at you, this is his goal. This is his focus. This is his method of attack. Is that the enemy, like I said in James chapter 2, the enemy can't even deny the truth about Jesus Christ. That the focus of the enemy for you is not to take your salvation. If you have salvation in Jesus Christ, that is 100% secure and bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Done. Finished. You can't lose that. And so the enemy's focus is not to take your salvation because he cannot. The, the, the focus of the enemy is to limit the spread of salvation in Jesus Christ, to limit the gospel advancing forward. And that's why isolation is so significant. We see it here in the Sadducees. They say that it's obvious we can't deny that's what's happened, but they call them in and they say that you can't speak or teach in his name any longer. It says that we've got to stop the spread of this thing. And that's the goal of the enemy. And this looks like a lot of ways in our lives. And so, so here are just a few ways that this may look uh, and manifest its, itself in your life. The first is if, if you ever say something like the idea of I'm not good enough. If you ever find yourself saying I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I, I'm, I'm a low, rotten, no good person. I have no business telling others about Jesus Christ. And, and that's what you're saying to yourself. That's the internal dialogue. First and foremost, I want you to know you are right. You are 100% right. That's what makes the gospel good news. You're right. You don't have any business, nor do I, nor does anyone, nor does Peter and John, is that we have no right to that, is that we are broken. We are dead in our transgressions. That is the gospel. That's what makes the gospel good news to be shared, is that we aren't good enough. And that even in, in, our, in our sin, the wages of sin is death, that we're dead in our transgressions. And that even while we were still sinners, that God first loved us. And that he chose to go to the cross and to die for our sins. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So if you're telling yourself that, embrace it. You're not good enough. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be good all the time. You can say, man, I've been saved by grace and forgiven 
of the things that have happened in my life and the things that I've done, the, the sin that I've walked in. The second thing is you may say uh, to yourself, I don't know enough. So not only may you say, I'm not good enough, you may say, I don't know, I don't know enough. That's perfect. That is perfect because if you can take your faith and you can put your faith on a multiple choice test and you can get every answer right and have the answer for everything. You know, I've done small group and Sunday school and student ministry and discipleship groups for a long time now. And I can you can tell, you know, the people that have, have been raised in church a lot of times one of the, some of the, the things that we're tempted to do as we begin having a discussion about whatever it is, scripture or whatever it might be. And people will go to this idea of trying to get the answer right. And you ask a question and say, well, then they're thinking about what's the correct answer. And you're like, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, what do you feel? What are your experiences? And the truth is, is when you think about you don't know enough, you know in this story, the people that did know enough, those who were, who did have all the information, those were the Sadducees. They were the ones that knew enough. And the last thing that you may say to yourself that I'd like to point out is something along the lines of, I don't have time, I'll leave that for the professionals, or maybe you say nothing at all. I'm good, that's not me. I want you to know, church, that there are people in your life that desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That people need to know, just like Moody, just like Mordecai, whatever his name was, just like Billy Graham, they need to know how much Jesus loves them. They need to know what the value of their life is, is the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as we close, our worship team is going to close us with a song. And I want you to really just think and consider and pray and worship the Lord and make that decision. Say, Lord, I'm going to stand on the side of Jesus and not on the side of the world. I am going to, Lord, I'm going to be someone that spreads the gospel and doesn't defend it. God, I'm going to be a sharer of good news. I'm going to be excited about that. And lastly, Think about your own character and not your expertise. And if you, if, if you look at character in your life and you see something broken and incomplete, good news. Because the Lord and God is a God that restores and redeems and builds that. Let's pray and we'll close out with worship. Lord, I thank you so much, Jesus, for the spread of your gospel. God, I thank you that was spread to me. God, I thank you right now. I think about the people in my life that told me the good news. God, I think about my parents. Lord, I think about uh, Lady Lodge. I think about Chandler and Brian Hazel and people that took an interest in time to tell me the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that none of us would be the end of the line. That there would be one of us that's listening or watching, God, that the gospel would stop with us, that we would be people of advancement, that we would be people that spread good news, God, that we would focus, Lord, on our life in you and not our expertise. God, I pray that you enable and empower us and make a way for us to stand firmly with you and not with the world. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.